Welcome to episode 398 of We Don't Die Radio. I'm your host, Sandra Champlain, author of the international best-selling book called We Don't Die, A Skeptic's Discovery of Life After Death. And just a reminder, our home base is wedontdie.com, where you can always find things like our free Sunday gathering, which is an inspirational service, complete with a medium demonstration. You can join one of our weekly classes, read a free copy of my book, listen to past podcasts episodes, and so much more. That's wedontdie.com. I'm so excited to share with you our guest today. He's a brand new friend, and we like that. We have Coot Blackson, who is an inspirational speaker, transformational teacher, coach, and thought leader. He is the best-selling author of books, You Are the One, because yes, you are, and mm-hmm. The Magic of Surrender. He also hosts the Soul Talk podcast. He says his mission is simple, to awaken and inspire people across the planet, to access inner freedom, live authentically, and fulfill their true life's purpose. So you know, that is exactly our kind of person here, isn't it? Yes. You can find out more about him on his website, which is cootblackson.com. Coot, new friend, welcome to We Don't Die Radio. Thanks for having me. Oh, you got a great smile. So happy you're here. I didn't introduce all about you because I know there's worlds within worlds. If you wouldn't mind telling us your story, because you've come a long way in a short time. Yeah. Tell us about you. Wow. What can I say? Um, I was born in Ghana, West Africa. Excuse me. My father's from Ghana. My mother's Japanese. I grew up in London within the US. So I feel like I'm a citizen of the world from everywhere and nowhere. Um, as a kid, um, I was a very empathetic kid. So I felt people's pain very deeply. And there was always a part of me that wanted to alleviate suffering in some way. And I didn't know what form that would take, but I had a bit of an unusual childhood. Um, I didn't know it was unusual because it's all I knew and it felt very normal, which was a blessing in and of itself, in that, like, my first memories as a young boy was seeing, I remember seeing, being lost in the crowd and seeing a crippled woman crawling on the floor, and she picks up the the gravel, the sand that this man walks on, wipes it on her face and stands up, and he had no idea, he was just walking. I remember seeing blind people see, deaf people hear, the same man who sends you picked up, would look at a woman in a wheelchair, say, why are you in this wheelchair? Stand up. And they would stand up and somebody would come in with crutches or an incurable disease. And he would pray for them. This man was my father. And he was considered like the, the miracle man of Africa, um, had a huge following in Ghana at his height, hundreds of thousands of, of, of people in his congregation. Um, a very mystical man as well. Went to India in the 60s and had, had his own, should we say, enlightenment experience unbeknownst to many people, but had a huge church in London, about four to 5,000 people every Sunday at its height in the 80s. And so I grew up in this spiritual environment with a mother that grew up in in the Buddhist tradition, a father that grew up in the Christian tradition, even though he was very spiritual. And when I was age eight, I began speaking in my father's churches, and that's when my speaking career began, just thrown into the audience one day. And at age 14, I was ordained as a minister. And I was basically ordained and given the the mandate to take over my father's organization. I was the guy that was his successor. Everybody was happy but me um, because I just felt 
that something wasn't quite aligned. And this, like my life was basically scripted for me and planned out for me. And as, as this announcement was made, I just felt I had a different destiny. I had a different way of expressing. I didn't know what that would look like again. I just had a feeling that my path was, was a different direction. But I think like many of us, I was too afraid to speak my truth. My fear was if I speak my truth, then I'm going to lose my father. Then I'm going to be an outcast. Then I'm going to be alone. Then I'm going to be abandoned. Then, then, then what? And so I think like many of us, we allow fear to hijack our voice. We allow fear to, to stop us from being who we are because we're afraid if we dare to be who we are, we won't be loved. And so uh, I said nothing. And for four years, 14 to 18, I went through a deep questioning and inner turmoil and internal conflict. And that led to a lot of soul searching. And I would sneak into my father's uh, office. And on his bookshelf, he had probably a thousand spiritual books. And I became obsessed with trying to understand, like, who am I? And why am I? And what's the purpose of life? And why are we here? And, you know, I was just trying to make sense of my reality because I had tried to fit myself into a person or becoming who I thought I needed to be in order to get love and validation and approval. And I felt miserable inside. And so I became obsessed and read everything from the Eastern mystics of Krishnamurti and Osho to Western Gurdjieff to uh, Uspensky to the Theosophical Society to Wayne Dyer, Louise Hay, Deepak Chopra, Marianne Williamson. And this became my, my passion. And so when I turned 18, there was a real epiphany. It felt like uh, a death in and of itself in that I looked into my future and I saw that I could I could take over my father's church and be successful. But when I projected 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, I saw that if I didn't have myself, if I didn't have my soul, if I didn't have my own integrity, what kind of success is that? And that you can't be truly fulfilled and happy by following someone else's path. You can't be truly fulfilled and happy being someone that you're not. That is that is effectively living dead, right? Even while alive. And so... I felt my soul calling me to a different direction. I felt my soul calling me to, I wanted to go into this field of personal growth and spirituality and teach. And, you know, all these authors I read about were giving seminars. And so I thought, this, this is, this is my calling. And I felt my soul calling me to come to the US, calling me specifically to Los Angeles, because this is where all of the authors I'd read about happened to live. And, uh, long story short, I knew what I had to do and, had to have that difficult conversation with my father, which was terrifying for a 17-year-old kid. But I had that conversation, and we didn't speak for two years. And long story short, again, I won the green card in the green card lottery that enabled me to come to the U.S., two suitcases, $800 in my pocket, just following a dream. And that dream led me to go and meet many of the teachers and mentors that I read about. And then a few years later, traveling the world. And that's what really changed my life. And it sort of activated my soul where I went to Israel, studied with some rabbis, went to Thailand, hung out with some monks, ended up in India. And it was my time in India that really blew my blew me open to another level of my purpose and reality and why I'm here. And that's when I came back again to the US and began, honestly, 21, two years ago, began working with people. 
um, as a kid, not knowing that before before coaching was popular, before social media was a thing, I just started started with one person, and one person's life kind of changed, and another person. Then I created a way of working with people that I called uncoaching and untraining, and so that became a thing, and people's lives began transforming radically, and more people came and more people came and it just evolved and grew and grew and grew into small groups, larger groups, larger groups and, and, uh, two best-selling books. And now we're here. Yay. Here right now. I want to just back up a little about your, your dad, because two years not speaking. I know with the death of my dad, mm. relationships crumbled within my family. It's mm. really tough. And a lot of people don't, I mean, we think about death as grief, but grief can also be not talking to someone we love dearly, not seeing eye to eye, and they're alive. Could you just talk yeah. about that and how, how are things with your dad if he's still You know, You know, like when I was in my teens, I, I had to grieve the death of the relationship with my father before I ever had the conversation. And that was painful and that was heartbreaking uh, because... I knew that having the conversation would have an impact. I knew that having the conversation would alter our relationship in some way. My fear was we would never speak again, which we did. Then we healed and mended the relationship, primarily um, my efforts, but but it was so worth it. Um, but I remember feeling the heartbreak of the loss. I had to let go of the idea of the relationship that I wanted to have with this man so that I could have that conversation and it was in letting that go that it began to free me up to be able to have the conversation because before the conversation even happened I had released him I had grieved him I had allowed that process of heartbreak to happen and it was heartbreaking it was difficult it was painful but you know I knew what I had to do because I knew that if I did not speak my truth I would not reclaim my life and if I didn't reclaim my life and who I am I would be living dead. And and if I don't, if I betray myself in an effort to be loved, then I'm never going to feel truly alive. And, and so I had to choose myself. And it was painful. It was difficult. It was heartbreaking. But they felt like I didn't have a choice, you know. And, and I think that was the beginning of... Um, becoming a man, an initiation into becoming a man. And so, yeah, we didn't speak for two years, which was also difficult. But, you know, underneath that, I felt that I was on the right track. I felt that there was a deeper truth that even though it was painful, and so it took many years to to heal the relationship. I had to go through a process of forgiving my father and for not feeling like he was there for me, for not feeling like he saw me, for not feeling feeling unsupported by him for many years. And, and, and something profound, the initial shift happened was when I got to a point when I really forgave this man. And I won't bore you with the details, but I was in a men's weekend as a 20-year-old kid and got in touch with some depths of anger that was so so deep rage and anger and hurt and sadness and grief and and I really I, I forgave him you know I really forgave him and I saw that he was not capable of loving me the way I needed to be loved and he just was truly doing what he knew how to do the best he knew how to do and when I forgave him it it 
it freed me up in such a profound way to to like let him go. What I saw was that truly forgiving, true closure has nothing to do with the other person. True closure has to do with your relationship with the other person within yourself. And when I took the focus off of him and I stopped waiting for him to be a certain way, I stopped waiting for him to love me how I wanted to be loved. I stopped waiting for him to make amends and reach out and apologize. And I I, I made peace with my relationship with my father within myself. And I let him go. Um, and I gave up the possibility that we would ever have a relationship and that we would ever have a relationship that that would give me what I wanted as a boy. That was incredibly heartbreaking, but incredibly freeing at the same time. There was grief, but I think grief is often a sign that you are truly letting go. Like when many times when you don't feel grief, it it can be a sign that you're holding on in some way. But if you're really in a process of letting someone go, grief is a natural part of that process. You know, sometimes when somebody dies or something ends or relationship is over, we distract from the grief. We 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 deny the grief. We spiritual bypass around the grief, right? As a way to not feel the grief. And so sometimes not feeling the grief becomes a sneaky survival mechanism. Because if I don't feel the grief, then I don't have to acknowledge that my my, my mother is dead or my father is dead or this person is gone. And if I don't acknowledge that they're gone, if I don't feel the grief, I don't have to really acknowledge that they're gone. I can always stay kind of connected to them in some way, some some way that I can feel I still have them and I don't have to really admit that they're gone. Because if I really grieve, I have to acknowledge that they're gone and I have to face that reality, which which can be hard. And so I think sometimes denying the grief is is a sort of unconscious way to, to have some connection to that person you know i really realized something we'll come back to my father in in a moment but my first you know i've lost a lot of people in my life two two of my best friends um which was very difficult but i would say that the most you know profound experience of losing someone was my mother in 2016 like that's when i really understood the depths of grief and that's when I faced the depths of grief. And that's when I was blessed by the depths of grief, because in so certain ways, grief is a blessing that I didn't know. In that, my mother, bless her soul, perhaps the most beautiful you know, soul I knew that loved me so purely, um, she was diagnosed with stomach cancer. And so I began flying back and forth from LA to London, where she lived to be with her. Uh, I would fly every month for a week to take care of her and be with her in her chemo sessions and hold her hand and we would talk. And you know what's interesting? The only regret that I have had in my life was not spending more time with my mother. And I thought to myself while I was in chemo with her, like, why did I wait until she was dying till I spent this time with her? Like, we think we have time, but we don't. We will all die. And I think the quicker we can face our death, you will die. I will die. Buddha died. Muhammad Ali died. Bruce Lee died. You know, Oprah's going to die. Everybody will die. It is the human um, process, the human 
It's the initiation. It's part of being human. We will die. Birth, death. You know, even I just had a newborn. And I remember when my newborn baby was born. Beautiful soul. There is joy in the birth. But on some level, he just went through a death. There was a death that this newborn had to go through to who he was in the womb, to being in the womb, to the life that he had. And so sometimes I remember looking at him crying for the first few days and weeks, wondering maybe some of those tears are actually grief. Maybe some of those tears of the newborn is the grieving of the death of who he was because he passed through a portal to come into this life. But he had to die to, to, to the previous life. And I think the death that we experience in this life, we die when we're 80, 90, or you know, hope we live to 200 at this point. But at some point, we will all go, this body will expire. I kind of feel it's like a birth process. Every death is a birth into a new existence, into a new reality. We just move from this, this womb of the world to another dimension. But I think we've gotten so conditioned to believe we are simply this mind-body mechanism. We've gotten so conditioned to believe we are simply this ego structure. We've been so conditioned by society, by media, by advertisers to believe that you are just this body, this body, because the more you can be convinced that you're just this body, the more limited you are, the more in fear you will be. And the more you are in fear, the more you can be controlled. You're just this body. And so now you're these wrinkles, you're this age, and that's it. And then you're going to die. But if you just drink this juice and use this potion, then maybe you'll live forever. But the true immortality is not in this physical body. The true immortality is in the depth of your soul. On some level, what we really are, when we know who and what we truly are, as infinite consciousness, infinite beings. And you see society, media, education, even some religions advertise, don't want you to know who you are. You are an infinite being. Because if you're an infinite being, you know that you are worthy, you are whole, you are perfect, you are complete, you are enough, you are beyond birth, you are beyond death. Then fear starts to drop away because you know that even when this body is gone and as this body changes and ages, it's not you that is dying. The body dies, the vehicle dies, but what you are is a continuum and stream of energy and consciousness that is beyond this incarnation, beyond next incarnation, and is 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 a is a sort of gradient of eternity. It's timeless. And so I think when we truly know what we are, we are free. And that freedom is power. That power is is peace. And so for me, when my mother was going through this year of stomach cancer, and I got to be with her. What started off as the worst year of my life ended up being the best year of my life because I got to be with her. And what was interesting was when the doctors finally said, there's nothing else that we can do for you. I had six months of grieving the the potential loss. You you could say, I, I let go of hope. Because for me, the hope was the, all, the always living in the future. And I realized I was missing the moment right now that every cup of tea could be the last cup I have. Every text message, every voicemail, every conversation could be the last. When I, when I let go of the future, tomorrow, maybe, you know, when she's well, and I was totally here right now, 
the sacredness of the moment, the preciousness of the moment, the miracle of the moment, of the seeming ordinary became so alive. That's why I think death is a blessing, you know, in a certain way. And, and so when the doctors finally said to us, there's nothing else we can do, you're going to die. Get your affairs in order. Days, weeks, months, definitely not years. You know, the reality that I will never see my mother again, it hit me. It, it, it was devastating. Talk about heartbreak. I mean, I've been preparing myself, but now it was real. Like, I'm never going to be able to see my mom and have this conversation and hold her hand and all of these regrets of like, oh, my God, I wish I had taken more time. I wish I had made more time on Christmas. And what was I doing? All these things I thought were important. None of that stuff was important. And I looked her in the eyes and I asked the two questions. I said, mom, are you afraid? Basically, you're going to die. Are you afraid? And this little Japanese woman looked me in the eyes and she said, I am, I'm not afraid because I know I'm not this body. This body is a temporary vehicle for my soul. And when this body dies, because it will, I won't. I will be with you from the other side, guiding you from the other side. So I'm not afraid because I, kn I know who I am. And then I asked myself, what, like, I asked my mother, what, what do you want when, when, these final days, like, what do you want? What do you need? Where can I take you? And she said, there's nothing I want and there's nothing I need. All I want is what God wants for my life. And in that moment, I knew she was free. She knew who she was and she was totally surrendered. She wasn't attached to living. She wasn't attached to dying. She was surrendered to the highest trajectory and, and, and sort of journey of her soul's destiny. And she was in peace. And so the time came. You know what was so interesting? A year later, after she, she was diagnosed, was around September 2020, 2017, I was in El Salvador doing an event. My intuition said, go to Ghana. My mother happened to be in Ghana with my father at this point. We moved her to Ghana. Go to Ghana. It's like, well, I was going to go on Christmas for her birthday. Go now. I went. I sat with her for about four days. Like something, I don't know. Is she well? I'm not sure. She doesn't quite seem the same. Now I realize that she was in the process of death. Like, 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 like her senses were going internal, going inside, going inside, becoming more still, becoming more quiet. I didn't realize it at the time. Like, I knew she was maybe dying, but you know, you don't want to totally accept it. And I never seen someone. And I realized, I think these are the signs that she may be going, but I was in a bit of denial. And I remember one night, I was in the other room. She was in, with my dad. And one night, I think she called me and I went and I put my hand on her chest. And I put my hand on my mother's chest and I, and I could feel her heartbeat. And I heard this voice that said, remember what this feels like. Remember this moment of feeling her heartbeat. And I stroked my mother's hair. And I wasn't really thinking she was going right then. You know, I thought I'd be back for Christmas and I'd see her. But I looked, you know, I stroked my mother's hair. And I whispered into her ear, into her ear, like, mom, like, I'm good. Mom, like, I give you permission. If you need to go, you can go. I'm fine. I'm fine now. I'm good now. Everything's good. I'm okay. She didn't say anything. And I wasn't even saying it seriously, but it was like from my soul speaking to her. And then I said goodbye to my mother, saying I'd be back in Christmas time for her birthday, December 21st. And I landed in LA 
on a Monday. I got a phone call. I walked into a smoothie store to get a smoothie. I heard a song. The song played, you know, was it Sting? Every breath you take, I'll be watching you. I heard this song and I knew that was my mother speaking to me, her soul. Talk about the other side. And that night I got a phone call. Your mother has crossed over. Your mother has crossed over. And actually before they called, called me, that, that whole day from that moment of hearing that song, my cousin called me and he said, your mother has gone into silence. I'm like, what do you mean? She stopped talking. She stopped eating. I said, what, what, what happened? But she keeps chanting. There's, a, there's some mantra she keeps chanting like over and over and over again. Like we don't, and they put it to my ear and I could just hear some, some kind of Buddhist, some chant that was just spontaneously happening. No motion in her body, just chanting. And that night is when I got the phone call. And, 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 you know, I'm so glad I went to Ghana when I was guided. I'm so glad I got to see her. And I realized, damn it, why, 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 why wasn't I there when she passed? And I realized she didn't want me to be physically there when she passed away. And so she was good that I came. And once I came, she saw that I was good. And she said, it's time. It's time now. And that, you know, and I went back, I flew back the next day to Ghana. And, and that started a process of profound grieving for me. The most sacred grieving for me. Grieving is sacred. You know, the quickest way through something is through it. It's when we don't allow ourselves to grieve and we suppress and we distract and we drink it away, sex away, smoke it away, you know, meditate away, spiritual bypass, that we suppress the grief. And when we suppress the grief, we also suppress our capacity to feel joy. We also suppress our capacity for aliveness because we're carrying the heaviness of the incomplete feeling of grief into a new relationship, into the future. And it begins to dull our senses and dull our feeling capacity and dull our joy and happiness and capacity for life because we're carrying the heaviness of the grief. And sometimes because we still want to stay connected to them. We don't want to let them go. And so what I found was for me, the quickest way through the grief was to face it. And so what I did for a full year is I went into intentional grieving. I would sit at night, an hour a night, two hours a night, depending, three, four, five, six, seven times of the week. And there were moments where I would journal and I would express my feelings about my mom and how I missed her. And, and I would cry. Sometimes I would cry for two hours a night. Just, you know... For me, the grief was profound and sacred in that I would have these moments of grief sessions, crying. And it was as though my heart broke open. My heart literally broke. But what happened was when I would, when I would feel my mother, who was no longer in the physical form, I felt now the body was no longer an impediment to our relationship. And so when I would feel her, I could feel her essence. I could feel her spirit that was no longer limited by the physical form of looking at her. I could feel who she really was. And when I now felt, without the limitation of the physical, when I really felt who she was, I felt the depth of love that she really was. And that depth of love was so excruciatingly 
profound that it would shatter my heart. Like the love that she was, that I could now feel her. I could not contain in my physical heart space. And then when I felt the depth of love I had for my mother, in the grieving and the tears, my heart would break. And then it would break again. And it would keep actually every tear would break it open to another dimension, another dimension, uh, break more. And then a week later, break more. And a week, and it, it was like my heart's capacity to hold love kept breaking in the grief. And so it was the grief that shattered my heart's limitation and the capacity to feel love. And, and so through the grief, I was able to feel more love for my mother, more love for, for the world more love for my friends, more love for humanity, more love for people. And, and what went from, oh, my heart is this big, is my heart is infinite and my heart cannot be broken. And there is a deeper strength. It doesn't take strength to avoid grief, but to feel the grief and to go through the grief and to not let your heart close and to feel through it and to remain open and to come through the other side. All feelings remain present until fully felt. So the feelings that we don't feel simply stay stuck. But when we feel them, no feeling lasts forever. So I want everyone to know that your grief, as deep as it feels, as hard as it feels, will not last forever if you are with it fully and you feel it fully. Without judgment, without resistance, it will complete. But it may not happen all at once. For me, it was a layer of grief, a layer of grief, and then rest. And then another layer of grief, and then and then two weeks later, another layer, and then and each time another layer peeled away, another layer peeled away, and it's as it's as though the clouds of grief just lifted, and a bit more just lifted, and there was more sun that begins to shine through the sun of love, the sun of your essence begins to shine through as grief lifts. But when we don't complete that process of grieving, it's either totally clouded with grief. Or, or kind of partially clouded rather than completely, you know, complete because we fully allowed ourselves to process the grief fully. And so what I found was when you allow yourself to grieve, you allow your heart to be broken open by the grief. The strength that you find from grieving and being broken open to then realize that you cannot be broken. You end up so much stronger because you've been broken open and you're still here. Rather than be resisting the grief and afraid of the grief, thinking you're being strong, when you, in fact you're still living in fear. But when you felt the grief and you've been broken and you are rising still like a phoenix, you know, in the sky, that's real strength. And that is a strength that I found through the grieving of my mother. And, and it gave me a renewed, you know, what I got was I felt closer to my mother when she was gone. Really? Than actually when she was alive. Wow. Because our relationship was no longer limited to the telephone. Our relationship was no lo longer limited to I'm in LA and she's in London. She was with me all the time now. No form, no body. Formless, spaceless, dimensionless, in my heart, that connection was so there and I could feel her. Like there were things that happened. I'll give you a quick example. Yes. I just want to say something about my father. But I remember 
I bought a piece of, I bought 40 acres in Joshua Tree. Okay, I've, ne I've never shared this story. I bought 40 acres in Joshua Tree. This is before anybody wanted to go to Joshua Tree and if people thought I was crazy and then my guidance said buy it and the land exploded over the last five years. So it was a great investment. But when I bought the, 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 the land, no banks were giving construction loans. I couldn't get a construction loan. It was, it was very difficult. The year that my mother, the year before my mother, 2016, April, my mother came, I showed her the land. I'm like, man, this, I bought this land. Take a look. And she got on the land and she said, this is sacred land. This land you, you bought is holy. It's sacred. And she put her arms up and blessed this land. And for this whole year, I was trying to like get a loan, get a loan, get a loan, get a, nothing, nothing, nothing. Banks weren't giving construction loans. A month after my mother passed away, one month, I was approved for two construction loans. And I could feel this is my mother's work helping from the other side. I mean, just so happens when she passed, everything fell into place. And boom, here's your construction loan. And that was, you know, so magical. And so I felt the connection with my mother and those that may have lost somebody. It forces you to question like the real like relationship. Who am I? If you just believe you're the body, then you will believe that when somebody's body dies, then the relationship is over. But if you know who you are as an infinite being, as consciousness, as energy, as soul, as spirit, then you know that soul and spirit cannot die it might transform it might transmute it might alchemize into a diff you know like 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 shall we say uh, uh water going into ice going into steam it just transmutes into another dimension but the essence is still there and so they never leave us and in fact those we love are always with us as a part of us, as a part of our consciousness, as a part of our history. And sometimes I know it's hard and, oh my God, is life worth living without them? And I think what I realized when my mother passed is the greatest honoring, the greatest respect I can give my mother is to fulfill my potential in this lifetime. Amen. The greatest way that I could honor her legacy and what she gave me and what she taught me was to to be the highest version of myself as a way of honoring her and that's what i've endeavored to do and then you know in one of my meditations with my mother the first few months months weeks actually that she passed my mother was 10 years younger than my father and i said to her in a meditation because i could feel this connection with my mother I said to her, why did you die first? Like, I, I would have thought that my father would go first because he's 10 years older. Like, how comes you, you die first? And I felt this feeling sense communication. Like, I could feel her communicating to me. Was it a voice? Was It, it, it was just a sense. Mm -hmm. And I felt her saying, I died before your father to gift you the healing and the relationship and the completion of karma with your father. It was a gift. And I saw that and I understood that she removed herself so there was just me and my father left in this lifetime. Because if she was there, it was always me and her 
And I was like, my dad, I love my dad, but you know, he's an interesting character, you know. And 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 up until that point, I'm like, well, it takes two to tango in a relationship. And if he doesn't put any effort, I'm here, I love him, but it takes two. And and when she died, and I understood why she left early, I decided, I made a commitment, I made a decision. I'm going to love my father. I'm going to drop any notion of anything I have against him. And I'm going to love him. I'm going to devote my life to loving his soul. And I'm going to love him every single day as a devotion, as a yoga, as a spiritual practice, as a prayer, as a meditation. I'm going to love him. I'm going to call him every single day. Now, bear in mind, I've gone months without speaking to my father. You know, uh, and, and so I said, I'm going to call my father every single day until he dies. This was not a common thing, right? Every three months we speak because he never called and I was tired of calling. So I said, none of that stuff matters. I don't care who he's been. I don't care what he is. He doesn't have to change. I love my father. And if I love this man, then all that matters is that I love him. He can do whatever he wants on his side, but I'm just going to love him so that when he dies, I have no regrets. Zero. I had some regrets with my mother. I call it the sacred regret. That sacred regret has 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 lit something in my soul to live life with a fear urgency, you know, and realize you don't have forever. And so I said, I'm gonna make sure that I I love my father so that when he dies, I don't have regrets. He can do what he wants. That's not my responsibility. I want to be at peace. And so I began calling my father every day. No expectations that he would call me back. No expectations that he would respond. Dad, I love you. Dad, how are you? Dad, checking in on you. Dad, are you taking your protein powder? It wasn't some profound conversation we were having. I gave up any idea of any, any notion of the conversation that we need to have, the relationship that we need to have. And I just said, I'm going to just love him, period. Dad, how are you doing today? Dad, I'm checking. Dad, I'm thinking of you. I probably didn't miss a day unless I was on a plane. And slowly, our relationship transformed. This man who I loved, I had made peace with, but we weren't close. He began to melt. This old patriarchal African guy began to melt. He began to, I don't think he'd ever had anyone just love him like that. None of his children, none of it, like nobody. He just showed up and just loved him every day. And I just, I think he realized and he started responding and something in his heart healed and he would say, son, I respect you. Son, I love you. Son, you know, a guy who never remembered my birthdays all of a sudden called me on my birthday. Happy birthday. And the healing that happened, the karmic, energetic healing that happened between us was profound. And for five years, I called him and loved his soul every day. 2023. November, he passed away. And when he passed, you know, I was guided again to go to see him in October. I was going to go in December. I might go now. I went to see him in October. And I sat with him. And my wife was pregnant. And I told him, We're having this child. 
And he said, I had a sense. And he was so happy. And he didn't say very much. And I stayed for a few days. We just sat quietly, just being. And as I returned home, I told my wife, I told my father that we're having a son. He's going to have a grandson. And I said to my wife, I don't think he will make it to the birth of our son. My wife was like, no, no, don't say that. I'm like, I think now his work is complete. Sure enough, a month later, he made his transition to the other side. And I realized that, you know, when a soul is complete with their mission in this life, death is really a graduation. We see death as something bad. And obviously, we want to have as much time with those we love. But I believe that when you understand that you are a soul and you incarnate into this human experience in order to learn, in order to grow, in order to evolve, that life is like a school for your a university, for your soul's evolution. We're, we're, it's a curriculum here. Everybody's your teacher. That we all have our own unique classroom and soul lessons to learn that when we are complete with our purpose here, when we're complete with our mission here, what we have come here and incarnated into the soul school to learn. We graduate, and I saw that my father was complete. And so to me, death is a graduation. So I just invite you to see death differently now, not as something negative or bad. It's just a graduation. And when, you know, when our kids graduate from high school, we don't, we don't say, no, don't, don't, don't stay in high school forever. Even you're 57 years old, you should be in high school. We, we, we graduate, we, we move on to, to, to university and university, we do a master's program or we go into life and it's a graduation. And so if we can understand the soul never dies, the body, the body is just transitory. But the truth is every seven years we have a different body. So on some level, every seven years, we technically, we are not the same person and we are dying anyway. So are you just the body? Because the same body in the form of your spouse or your kid or your, or your father or mother that you love is not the same body. And so if they are just the body, then, you know, what's the issue? Just put the body there in the living room when they're, when they're dead and just hang out with them. But they're not the body. They're the essence. They're the vibration. They're the soul. They're the spirit. And so I think when we can remember that, and it's hard as human beings to remember that sometimes because we miss them. But when we, when we remember that they are that, then we know that there is no separation from this dimension and the next dimension. They're with us all the time. All the time. And so those are some of my experiences. Oh, I well, talked your ear off. But... <laughs> no, I just want to listen. It's perfect. There's a favorite quote of mine that our life here is but a thread in the fabric of our soul. Yeah, yeah. There's yeah. such a big picture. And, and no yes. doubt your parents are together. And there's a lot going on behind the scenes, how they inspire us. But with our time left, let's talk about living life. Uh, just a shout out to our friends, Roberta Grimes and Brian Smith. Like, listen to the shows with, with you. I love the two of them so much. And there was some one thing that really captured me is you had mentioned being true to ourselves. And I was left this afternoon with like, I need to have a conversation with me. I think mm -hmm. we live life 
a lot of times what we should be doing, you know, you talk about the ego mind and it's brutal, right? <laughs> Put it aside, surrender, live now, but really being true to who we are. And I love that you said too, you know, we pick up our phone we talk to, mm-hmm. I don't want to say it too loud, Siri. <laughs> <laughs> and we trust her for the answers, but internally we do. Can you talk about being true to ourselves and really having that conversation of being true to who we are. Yeah, sometimes so hard because as children, we've been conditioned to not be true. Oh, you know, don't, girls don't act that way. Boys don't cry. Don't be that way. Be this way. Well, why you can't be more like your sister Susie or the person down the street? And so unconsciously as children, we learn, you know, to, to lie to ourselves. Unconsciously as children, we learn, oh, I feel pain. Oh, I, I don't want to feel this pain. Let me suppress it, disconnect it. I'm fine. Shut it down. I don't feel anything. So we're, we're kind of out of survival lying to ourselves just to deal with our reality. And then we learn the sense of who do I need to be in order to be loved and validated. And we contort ourselves into becoming the person and the version that we need to be or who we think we need to be in order for mom and dad to love us, the world to love us, grandmom to love us, you know, humanity to love us. And we develop a role and a mask and a persona, become who we think we need to be to fit in, to be okay, to be normal. And that version of ourselves that we become is a kind of a lie. You know, it's not always authentic. It's not always our truth. Oh, I'm nice. Okay. I say yes, even though when I don't really feel like saying yes and I'm betraying myself, but I want to say yes. I don't want to say yes, but I'm afraid if I don't, then you might leave me. So I'm going to say yes. And now I hate myself. Right. And, 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 and so. I think it's just so important that if someone wants to begin shifting, begin living fully, begin transforming their lives, you have to look at the lies that you're telling yourself and ask yourself a couple of questions as a self-inquiry. What lies am I telling myself? What lies am I telling myself? What am I pretending to not know? We stay in relationships that we know are not aligned. We work jobs that we hate. We say yes when we mean no. And so if we can just begin with the truth, what lies am I telling myself? And, and, and there is no transformation without truth. There is no authentic living without truth. Um, to me, it's the truth that sets us free. And we have to want the truth and to be free more than we want what we have. And just so, so I tell people, take the pressure off of yourself of having to even take any action. Because sometimes the fear of the consequence of the truth, oh, what will happen to my relationship? Or what will that mean to my job if I start telling the truth? Take the, take, take the pressure. You don't have to take action and just acknowledge the truth. I'm not in love and I haven't been in love for the last 10 years. I'm scared. It's terrifying. I don't know what it means. But the truth is I'm not in love. And just feel that. Like feel that. It might lead to some grieving. You know, it might lead to some deeper feelings. I hate my job. Feel that. I have an alcohol problem. Feel that. Right? Feel it. Because I think if we're willing to tell the truth, take the consequences off, that begins an inner process inside of transformation, you know, and, and the possibility of change and the possibility of letting go. But I think letting go of who we were, letting go of who we've been, letting go of what we know ourselves to be, letting go of a phase of our life, letting go of an idea of what we thought our life should be is is a death. It's a death to let go of 
your children now don't need you anymore and they're all grown up and they're going into it's a death to find yourself again and so i think we have to be willing to you know in life we go through many deaths and the ego the perceived sense of who we believe ourselves to be doesn't want to die you know the ego is constantly seeking to reinforce its sense of existence and that's why we hold on and that's why we don't want to change and that's why we don't let go of old negative beliefs and that's why we stay in relationships even though they're not working because we don't want to change we're trying to preserve our sense of self and so i think to truly surrender we have to be willing to let go and to truly let go we have to be willing to grieve and the 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 doorway to true authentic surrender and flow is grief grief is the bridge like there is a difference between acceptance and surrender acceptance is i accept what is it is what it is but i'm mad and i'm not going to love my husband fully because he's not being who i want him to be but i'll stay in the relationship but i'm still a little upset and i'm going to accept it it is what but surrender is that open hearted you know participation with life the open hearted participation of like i'm going to embrace and live life fully but it's hard to really move from acceptance to surrender unless you allow yourself to grieve and so i would ask people to sit with the truth again what have i not allowed myself to grieve what have i not allowed myself to grieve because in many ways we don't deal with our feelings we're taught from childhood oh you you feel sad uh, pop a pill you feel sad? Just, just eat this, eat this cookie. You feel sad? Just, just go distract yourself. And so we, we go so fast that many times we don't even realize that there's layers, some of which are very subtle layers of grief that we are carrying. And over time, age 40, age, age 50, age 60, age 70, it's like, why do I not feel so excited about life? Why do I not feel so excited about What's next? Why did I not, not feel so excited about this new relationship? Because the unfelt grief has now sort of just layered there and we've become jaded um, because our true joy and vitality and aliveness has become hidden underneath the grief we haven't allowed ourselves to feel. And so let's get real. What have I not allowed myself to grieve and feel it? And we know that there's magic in the present moment. I mean, I've experienced, I've been on this journey a long time. And even with grief and being mm -hmm. present, like you say, to those feelings and feeling them, they go. But what comes in is feeling your mother, me feeling my father, ideas that just seem to come out of nowhere. Yes. Surrendering and being, being okay with the unknown. Yes. And I do feel... There's a quote someone has, God will work with you, but not for you. You know, we can pray all we want, mm -hmm. but if we're quiet and we take one little step, I feel like there's this inspiration, like a wind that feels, fills our sails and gives us just that little push mm -hmm. into where we, where we need to go, what our, you know, the difference we can make. I want to talk a little bit about service because that ego mind wants to keep us safe. And it's not really safe because it's usually miserable, but it's the pain that it knows. And it's like, okay, well, even though you're feeling pain, you've lived with it before. So we're not going to venture out there. Mm. But I do know that's a time waster that we can look for being of service. I think being a human being, the biggest way for us to accomplish dreams we don't even know we have is to help our fellow traveler. 
Can you talk a little bit about being of service? I think it's quite simple. I, I think that when we're so focused on ourselves, at some point, it's just mis- miserable, right? But I think that being of service, to really be of service, you you kind of have to take the focus off of just you and your life and your pain and your emotions and turn the focus outwards. And when you turn the focus outwards, you shift the focus off of yourself and you start expanding. And you start expanding to include others into your heart, into your life. And I think that's when there's there's so much joy when you're being of service because you're not just fixated on yourself and your pain and your little life and 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 including others in the the oneness that you are. And so I think a life of of service is a life of fulfillment. And I think in many ways we look for big ways to be of service. We've got to feed all the children in India. We have to you know, save the world, save the planet, save the climate change. You know, and and and. Many of us, we don't even start. We don't even, we don't begin. So I will tell people, just look around you right now and respond to the need in the moment. The ego wants to seek and seek and seek and seek and seek and seek and not find. Because that's what keeps the ego in existence. Like, well, how can I be of service? How can, just, just begin. Begin where you are, as you are. You don't have to do more therapy. You don't have to heal. You don't have to become any more enlightened, but just start where you are as you are. And when you start where you are as you are, you take a step and you take another step. Life will reveal to you the next step. And many times we want to impact millions, but we haven't helped one person. We want to impact five million, but we haven't helped five. We want to impact the the people across the world, but we're not even helping our neighbor across the street. Just, Just to wrap up, what I would say is, I remember 20, 21 years ago, 22 years ago, I wanted to be of massive service to people and humanity. And I would sit on the couch. I'd sit on the, uh, the park bench in Los Angeles, Pan Pacific Park, by Air One a grocery store in, in LA. And I would meditate for hours a day. How can I be of service? And one day I saw this old Russian Jewish woman. And I saw that she would go to Air One, the grocery store, every day do some grocery shopping, and come back with like two or three bags. And she was old, 80-something. And she would clearly be struggling with these bags. I mean, she was she was just elderly. And, and every day I'm sitting there thinking, how can I be a service? How can I be a service? And one day, it was as though this internal voice, is like God said, you know, here, while you're sitting here thinking about how you can be of service, this little old woman is needing your help, and you are not helping. Don't think you're being of service just by sitting here thinking about how you can be of service. And in that moment, I realized I was full of it. And I jumped off of the the, the park bench and I said, if I want to make an impact, let me start with who is in front of me right now. And I just began. And I just said, I'm going to every day for as long as I can, I would meet this woman and carry her groceries to her door. And we struck up a conversation and it was She was a blessing to me, and I was a blessing to her. So start where you are, as you are, right now. Beautiful. With the time we have left, we just have a few minutes. Could you shed a little light on these beautiful books that you've written? 
your website, what you've got going on, because I know this is just the beginning of a great relationship with us and our listeners and viewers. Yeah, I I would just say if anyone wants to to check out the books, You Are The One. It's my first book. It's all about finding your purpose. And uh, my latest book, The Magic of Surrender, Finding the Courage to Let Go. It's it's a special book, special to my heart. Uh, You can find it on Amazon. The paperback version is updated, so check it out there. For people that may be inspired to go deeper and maybe you're someone you feel you've been put on the planet for a purpose bigger than yourself and you feel a sense of shall we say you feel ready to go to your next level you feel ready to heal transform let go of conditioning connect to your true self and share those gifts with the world and maybe you feel a a fierce urgency uh to 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 do that and live that now um, twice a year, I do an event, a very special event. Depending on when you're listening to this, it's a special event to Bali, Indonesia. I've done this event for the last 10 years. I've done 20, depending on when you listen, 21 of these events. Uh, and they're completely life-changing. For me, it's perhaps the pinnacle of my work. Uh, 12 days immersion, seminar training in Bali, a seminar without walls. I use Bali as the backdrop to facilitate your transformation. Um, I take about 18 to 20 people at a time, and we go deep. It's 12 days of profound transformation, hearing, clearing, subconscious beliefs, um, and, and real, real um, inner work that is designed to help free you so that you can be of service to the world. And so this is my last year, 2023, doing this particular event. I'm creating other events, obviously, but uh, if you feel inspired, find out more, www.boundlessblissbali.com. That's boundlessblissbali.com. The next event is July the 28th through August the 8th. Uh, There's still time to join if you catch this. And then also December the 5th through the 16th, you can go to the website, watch the video and apply, and then we begin the journey together then. Uh, also, my main website, kootblackson.com, K-U-T-E, kootblackson.com, Instagram, kootblackson, Facebook, kootlovenow, uh, my podcast, Soul Talk. Beneath this episode, I have all the links so people can get to you. Any closing words before we wrap it up? Surrender is the password to freedom. And if you want more magic in your life, you've got to surrender. Love it. Love it. Love it. Coot, thank you so much for being our guest today. Thank you. you. Appreciate you. Beautiful. And for our listener or our viewer, thank you for taking the time to be with us. And as a reminder, you can find all past episodes at wedontdie.com. Also, while you're there, the main page, scroll to the bottom. If you sign up for my email list, pretty easy. It says, get the first few chapters of my book. The truth is it's the full book. Chapter 10 is about grief, surviving grief. And there's some little known facts that I believe are priceless. So please take advantage of that. And what else can I say? Remember to come to our Sunday gathering. It's free. It's fabulous. It starts two o'clock New York time every Sunday with a medium demonstration, inspirational service. Very powerful to keep you going through the week. I think that's it. Check out kootblackson.com. Check out his books, You Are the One and The Magic of Surrender. So in closing, a big thank you to you for being here today. 
Um, I'm Sandra Champlain, always delighted to be your host on We Don't Die Radio. I do believe in all that Coot says, and also that you are a divine soul having a human experience. Your life matters. You're one of a kind. You're perfect just the way you are. Don't listen to the ego that it's too late to do anything. You're just where you need to be. But have a heart to heart with yourself. Be true with who you are. Surrender and just watch the magic unfold. You got lots of friends around you living and in this world around you. So I really want to thank you for listening or for watching, and we'll see you again soon. Oh,